Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, the pastor of West Bradenton Baptist Church in Bradenton, Florida, Josh King, the pastor of Saxe's Church in Saxe, Texas, and me, Micah Fries, the pastor of Brainerd Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're glad you're here. Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of EST. I am really excited to introduce to you a new semi-regular feature that we're going to do here on the podcast every once in a while. We like to call it the pastor's study. We want to take you into the study of a pastor who has served well in the established church environment, who walks with Jesus, who reflects him well, and uh, who can teach us a few things about what it means to love and serve the established church. And we're going to kick off this very first uh, edition of the pastor's study by introducing you to Ron Edmondson. Now, Ron, for those of you who maybe don't know Ron, he's the senior pastor of Emmanuel Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky. It's an old, established, downtown, historic congregation in Lexington, Kentucky. It had been in a long, long decline from 1950 until the time Ron became the pastor almost five years ago. It had actually declined by uh, half, by 50%. Since Ron has been there, it has seen incredible growth. God is uh, doing amazing things in the life of the church. It's vibrant, and uh, the Lord has really used Ron well to serve that church. Prior to coming to that church, though, Ron actually had served um, as a church planter. He planted two different churches. Uh, The most recent church he planted in Clarksville, Tennessee, uh, had actually become one of the hundred fastest growing churches in America, which is one of the things that makes Ron so astonishing to me, that he can lead both the church plant environment and the established church well. There's not very many leaders out there who are capable of doing that. Ron also served as an elected official and a business leader in the secular world before he felt the Lord call him into ministry and became a pastor. Ron is incredibly prolific on social media. His blog is one of the most well-read blogs in Christendom. He has over 138,000 followers on Twitter. If you haven't followed him, you ought to, at Ron Edmondson. Uh, But Ron has a lot to say, and I think today's show is going to be really, really encouraging as we learn from Ron. So uh, sit back, enjoy, and uh, here's a few lessons that you can learn about how to love and lead well the established church. So Ron, what I want to do is kind of kick things off by talking a little bit about one of my favorite things about what you've done at Emmanuel, and that is um, sort of affirming and um, using the history of the church as a platform for the church to move forward, which I think is maybe in contrast to the way that a lot of folks lead the established church, trying to diminish or move past history uh, so that they can get to the future. Uh, but when you and I first were talking about your, your time there at, at Emmanuel, you kind of shared with me how you, you kind of clarified three or four primary characteristics about the history of the church that you used as a springboard to move forward. So maybe talk to us a little bit about how you've, why you do that and then how you've, you've led through that, you know, through that method in, in the church there at Emmanuel. Well, I do it for uh, for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's the humble way to approach uh, the the position. You know, this church is over a hundred years old, and it would be very arrogant of me to come in and assume everything that's been done before has been done wrong, or that I have all the answers of what we need to do going forward. Uh, there are smart people in this church. They've had great seasons of growth and uh, success, and um, so again, it's just it, it's the right way thing to do, I believe. The the second reason is it's it's effective. I mean, um, 
you know, if I say uh, immediately come at you and tell you I don't like the shirt you're wearing today, <laughs> uh, you know, you're going to get defensive about right. that because you put some thought into the shirt, hopefully that you, you know, that you put on. And, and so uh, it's the same way. If I come at it at an approach that it's wrong or what has been done is wrong, then, then the, the, then you automatically I'm having to overcome the natural defense that rises up, um, you know, in, because we felt good about what things were going, the way things, you know, what we've done in the past. Um, it, interesting, somebody was interviewed, uh, we were interviewed in our state Baptist paper um, a year or so ago, and um, they, inter- they wanted to talk to a few key uh, people in the church, and so uh, we gave them some names. And one of the ladies they called, great servant, wonderful servant, and uh, very intelligent, been here all her life. And um, they said, well, you know, you've grown quite a bit since, since Ron came. And, and she, she said, well, maybe because you, and they said, well, you've been in a period of decline. And she said, oh, I don't think so. I don't think we were in a period of decline. <laughs> I mean, we've made some, we've probably had some growth, but I don't think we were declining. And if you looked at the number, we were half the size we were in 1950. And so uh, there definitely had been some decline, but you you, you know you, when you're the frog in the kettle, you right. don't see that necessarily. And so I, I think you you just avoid some of that de- defense if you come at it from the angle, hey, we're going to build them upon the past of the the good of the past, not tear everything down. So in theory, obviously that sounds really encouraging in a way it's 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 a, an opportunity to sort of have your cake and eat it too we get to affirm the the past uh, you know that the church has had but at the same time point towards a future that's bright and hopeful i think the idea breaks down for a lot of leaders and that they're not quite sure how to make that happen in their context so would you take just a minute and kind of walk us through how did you do that in your context what was it about the past that you identified as good and valuable and helpful to point to the future well, one of the things is um, uh, I spent a lot of time in the history room, and uh, I, I make uh, the joke I make, which is funny, but it's true, is that after the first six months, they gave me my own key. And uh, <laughs> but I I spent a lot of time going in there, and it's so funny because we're having this interview uh, today. It's a Monday, and I received in the mail. Uh, I can show it to you where nobody uh, else can see it, but uh, it is a, somebody mailed me some history notes that they found somewhere in their, and I haven't even looked at it, in their uh, archives or, you know, they've just been saving it, one of our seniors, because they know I care about that kind of thing. And so um, the, uh, but I was looking for uh, last good moments or big moments where that was a time the church really saw growth and and overcame an obstacle or whatever. Um, just significant moments in the life of the church, basically. And, um, you know, you can tell those because of, those are the things that were celebrated. Those are the things they took lots of pictures about. Those are the things that, that there were news articles or whatever. Um, and so I looked for some themes, and I had other people looking. I wasn't the only one kind of telling them what I was looking for. What I discovered were some key understandings. These were not good days when I came, and yet 
the church had overcome some significant obstacles in the past. They they mothballed the church um, during the, the uh, uh, First World War when all the men were gone, uh, and for three years they didn't have any services. Uh, and then they had to somebody had to help them relaunch and that sort of thing and hire a pastor again and all that. Um, this is a I, so I'm able to say to our church, knowing that information, this is a church who overcomes obstacles. We don't close our doors. We don't say, oh, woe is me. We, we find ways to overcome, and that's what we're going to do now. The, the other thing was, uh, this was one of the first television programs in, this, in the state of Kentucky that for, for any church. We're, we're celebrating 50 years on television next, um, next year. And, you know, that's a tremendous piece of information to know how, how much of a pioneer you were. And we can look back, and no one in our church, not one person, would say, boy, that was a terrible decision to go on TV. But what will they be saying about us 50 years from now? Right. You know, that, that we were uh, ahead. And so that, again, you build on that momentum. And, and, then, um, and then the other piece of information um, I just went blank on, I'll think of it in a minute, but it was that type of, of, of building uh, from those key moments in the life of the church. The other thing that I wanted to, to learn was what did the church over the history get most excited about? And what I found out was, even though we were not doing a lot of missional stuff, a lot of, uh, we weren't really thinking outside our walls very much because you become very protective, you know, when you're in a declining situation. Right. Uh, the church got excited about doing mission work and uh, local stuff and that sort of thing. And so when we were able to fuel more energy into that, people automatically get on board because it's in their history. They're excited about it already. Yeah, I, you know, I've been at where I'm at serving here at Brainerd for just four or five months, and, and I've consistently, Ron, looked to you as a as sort of a model and, as, and an example of, of someone who's gone into a church and has loved and valued the history of the church and the heritage of the church and be able to draw those lessons out as an indication. In fact, it was encouraging to me when I saw you just a second ago hold up those notes from the history. I actually literally have had two people over the last three weeks bring me historical documents from the church and put them on my yeah. desk when awesome. I wasn't in here because because I love those things and I want to know more about the history of the church and we want to celebrate it. You know, the other thing that's interesting to me uh, as you think about those sort of moments in the life of the church that I think a lot of pastors underestimate, particularly when you walk into a situation where the th- things aren't going well. Now, I didn't. I walked into a good situation. Brainerd was probably as healthy as it had ever been. You walked into a challenging situation where they'd been in perpetual decline. I think a lot of our folks who listen walk into challenging situations. It's easy to think all we need, need now is something new. We need a new day. We need a new you know track record, that sort of thing. But we forget that even in declining moments, there were histor- historical moments that were good times for the mm. people who are sitting in the pews and they remember those times with fondness and encouragement. And yes. when we dismiss the past, we dismiss really valuable moments in their lives That's right. that, that are meaningful to them. And so if we can go back and affirm those valuable moments and use those as springboards, I think it, it really does sort of give us relational credibility and uh, relational capital. So you've done something that I, I don't know of another pastor in the country that has done this. It's one of the things I talk about when I talk to folks about you is that you've led one of the fastest-growing church plants in the country, and then you leave and you go to this old, established downtown, you know, historical congregation, and now it's seen some of its best days in terms of attendance and baptisms and influence in the community. 
So you you are able to sort of access a unique skill set that very few pastors and leaders seem to have. Either they function well in, an, in a church plan environment or an established church environment. You've done well in both of those environments. So when you look across both of those environments, what are some common behaviors that you've seen that you've needed? Now, I think most of us could identify some distinct and different you know, characteristics that we need to lead. But what are the common things that you've seen across both of those contexts that you've had to have as a part of your skill set? Well, I would say two things uh, that, that come to mind immediately. And the first one is um, a very driven around our purpose. Why are we here? Why has God called me here in the church plant? It was different, but it was similar uh, here. Why has God called me here? Uh, and we felt like in the first season we were called here to stabilize the church and position it to grow for another hundred years, for example. Uh, in the church plant, it was to start some a missional movement that would reach our community, reach people who were not being currently reached. So two uh, different missions and yet very purpose-driven around those. So I didn't try to do—so I didn't come to Emmanuel, and I think this is important. Uh, and people don't necessarily believe this when you follow uh, our growth. But I didn't come here trying to grow the church. Uh, that would come, and we would want that, and it came faster than we thought it would. But we really came here very purposeful to do what I just said, to stabilize. And, and, uh, and we didn't think we'd be here very long. You know, We thought that was a process we would get in place, and then somebody else would come along and grow the church. So uh, very purpose-driven. And then the second thing is, and this is just a leadership principle, but I think it's equally important in both, is I value delegation. I value empowering other people. Um, I see church plants that never get really off the ground because that one guy has the vision, and it was birthed in his prayer closet, and he cannot you know, empower other people to carry that out. I see that all the time. And, uh, and, and certainly our plant was birthed in that same way, and you know, we, we we recruited a core of 11 families, and, you know, so it certainly was our heartbeat. Um, but the same when I came here, I had to understand, look, it doesn't have to be done my way. Uh, I, I'm totally fine with lots of leaders around me making decisions every day. And I, I think I saw you uh, post this and, and uh, recently, and I echoed it because I— uh, my favorite thing to say is I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and and that I just don't have all the answers. And so I think though in both church plant and church revitalization, both of those have been necessary. So that leads me to another thing. One of my favorite articles about church leadership is years and years old. It was written by Tim Keller, I'm guessing 10, 15 years ago. And I don't remember the exact title. I think it's Process Managing Church Growth. And he talks about the need to change our models and styles of leadership as the size of the church changes. And it's, it was in a magazine. Anyway, you can find a PDF copy of it on, online if you Google it. But one of the things that I think is always interesting is sort of get a peek into a pastor's leadership style and ask the question, what do you prioritize in terms of your time um, and your relationships and then and just in terms of budgeting as you develop a budget around the things that you have responsibility for, what do you prioritize as a pastor? Um, and particularly in an established church environment where I'm guessing relationships are going to have to be prized maybe a little bit higher than they were to, right. would, would be in a church plan environment. So how do you yep. determine what you're going to invest your time, energy, and money in? 
Well, it what is going to move the needle a little further? You know, that's that's what I'm going to invest my time in. And so, um, you know, I try to concentrate. And I think this is another thing. This is answering your question, but it's another thing that I think a lot of people try to do when they go in to revitalize a church is you see so many things that need to be fixed. You try to fix all of them. Mm-hmm. And, I, and we didn't do that. We, we concentrated on one or two or three a year at a time, and we lived with other things. Um, you know, we are just, we're in our fifth year, uh, four and a half years here, and we are just in the process of, of uh, changing our library around, you know, and that's, if I survive this one, then I'm, <laughs> I'm then, then I can do the podcast and that sort of thing. But we are, uh, you know, we had, the, it's one of the largest footprints on our campus, and they were averaging 30, 35 units a month, you know, so it's, it, it, it needed to happen. It's happened in libraries all over the place, but it's taken us four and a half years to get there because we didn't try to do everything at once. And so I think that is, as, um, has been key is going slowly in that and prioritizing those things. The other thing that I, that I think is important is I try to prioritize my time around, and, and this always sounds bad. I mean, uh, when, when you hear this, but you know, Jesus didn't heal everybody. He healed people who got good storylines, you know, I mean, and, and so I, I try to lead with leaders as much as I can. And so those who are influencers, those who are stakeholders, <coughs> significant um, leaders in the church, whether that's uh, finance committee people or deacons, depending on your church context, right. I, I really try to concentrate on those. And I spent the first year, probably every breakfast and lunch was with one of those leaders and some of them, you know, repeat times. Uh, and then obviously our staff, because we, we do have a, a staff. And so I spend most of my time, honestly, investing in them. And and it does mean I have to say no a whole lot mm-hmm. to a lot of people. And that's hard. And that is a cultural change we're trying to get to. Uh, you know, I've heard the line, sometimes you just need a touch from your pastor. Mm-hmm. You know, well, my wife needs a touch sometimes from her that's pastor. Exactly. You know, I mean, that, More than anyone else. Yeah. And so, yeah. Uh, you know, that has been a cultural change change, but I'm not everywhere all the time. And I had somebody come to the church yesterday, just here to see a baptism of a friend of hers and said, I don't go to your church, but I'd love to sit down and talk to you and your wife sometime about what God's doing in my life. I feel like I'm being called into ministry and she was fundraising is what she was doing. Mm-hmm. And, and I just said, you know, I would love to do that. There's nothing that fuels me any more than that, but I have more of that here than I can do. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just really not able to uh, uh, to, to do that. I d- we probably have somebody on staff that'd be glad to sit down with you if you wanted that to happen. And she said, I'll think about it and I'll email you. Okay, that's fine. You sure. Know. But I had to close those doors. And so yeah. uh, the, the issues that are priority, I have to stay with them and then the, the, the people that can make it happen. Ron, do you consider yourself an extrovert or an introvert? Oh, definitely an introvert. Introvert. Yeah, so how taxing, I mean, because a significant amount of what you're doing in an established church is relational. So how does that personally, how do you maintain sort of personal, or how do you sustain yourself personally when, you know, extrovert type activities, I would imagine, are fairly draining for you? Yeah, they absolutely are. In fact, uh, this was scheduled today. I spoke somewhere this morning to a group of pastors that that are... um, 
come together for something development in our community. And uh, so I'm drained. You know, mm-hmm. I'll probably leave today after this is over. But um, uh, it goes back again to my calling and why I'm here. And I realize I do have to. Um, I I love people, you know, and I and introverts love people. That's a myth that's out there. We right. do love people. Right. And I and I I want them uh, to engage with the church. I want them to ultimately to make disciples out of them and that sort of thing. And that requires a personal investment on my part. So Sundays, it, I'm probably the most extroverted person in our building. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I meet everybody I possibly can. And then I gear myself to do really Monday and Tuesday. Those are days that you can, you can get on my schedule and mm-hmm. I can meet with you. And then the rest of the week, it's probably me, my laptop, and or my iPad and, and God, you yeah, know, right. And, and my wife and my boys are about the only ones that real and the staff, you sure. know, uh, that have access at that point. That's helpful. As I was thinking through trying to help those folks who are listening, just think about their own budgeting of time and relationships and priorities. <coughs> uh, that personality mix is such a distinct part of trying to, you know, balance and weigh all of that. One of the things that you said that I think was really particularly helpful, one of the things that I've, I've learned to do is this idea of living with some things and that are not okay. You know, mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of times uh, leaders who walk into established churches, doesn't matter how healthy the established church is, any established church is going to have some elements and some aspects that you, you, know, that you find troublesome and they need tweaking. And um, trying to determine... What can what can ride and what has to be dealt with immediately is a constant sort of juggling act. Yes. Uh, one of the things I found is not only do I have to struggle to figure that out myself, but I have to then help keep our leaders, whether they're staff or lay leaders, also okay with some things not being addressed right away and others not. How do you keep everybody sort of together? Not, not, not everybody's going to be in the same level of knowledge about what's going on in the church, but how do you keep everybody together, pointed in the same direction, okay with you know letting some things ride and understanding that that mm-hmm. doesn't mean that we're being neglectful, but rather we're being strategic? Well, one thing is not only do I operate just on a two or three things that I'm trying to do at any given time, we do the same thing with our staff. So we operate off of predetermined goals and, and objectives for each. And it, it varies from quarters to six months, depending on what their goals are. But um, so they operate on, so that is becoming a, in our DNA, in our system, is that's how we operate. We don't try to solve everything today. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I, this group that I talked to today, I told them, my job is chief vision caster and, and, and chief cheerleader, you know, so I realize I have to constantly remind people why we're doing this and what we're doing. And I always tell our staff, uh, it seems like snail pace to us sometimes, right. but keep in mind, it seems like rocket pace to the, to those who are having to, you know, they're on the receiving end of change. And so just, it's really just a matter of continually reminding them why we're doing this. And, and, and then, you know, four and a half years in, things can move faster, and sure. so we can we can address more at one time. Let me let me ask you one last question, and then we'll let you go. Um, you are heavily involved in, in social media. Your blog is one of the most widely read blogs in Christendom. <laughs> you have um, a good sized major city worth of followers on Twitter. Um, number one, why do you invest time and energy in social media? And secondly, as sort of a follow up to that. 
Um, is your target audience, are you using social media to help connect with and expand the pulpit with your own church community, or is your target audience predominantly other leaders? And if so, why take the time to invest in them? Well, uh, I would say uh, I'm I'm in it, and honestly, I'm less in love with it every day, <laughs> to, to be honest. I can sympathize uh, with that. Uh, you know, there are days I just want to get off Facebook and mm-hmm. not be on it anymore. Um, but I take a, a, a different approach, really, for Twitter than I do for, for Facebook. Mm-hmm. So with Twitter... Uh, it is, I'm really investing in other leaders. That's what I'm thinking about. For Facebook, it's a necessary evil pastoring a, a significant size church or any church probably. So that's how people, I minister to people and I see it that way. I don't post my leadership blogs there. I have a separate page that I do that with. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just personal. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's, it, you know, as far as, as why, um, along, I came out of the business world. I really feel like one of the skills that I bring to the table is leadership. And so I, I think to whom much is given, much is required. I think that's the same of our church. And so I, I want our church to be a kingdom building church. Uh, I told the, uh, I was about uh, 50 pastors in the room that I talked to this morning and mostly small churches. And I told them, if you want to come sit with us at staff meetings <coughs> or walk through with our preschool area, your volunteers, if you want to, or if we can come and help you. We're, that's what we're here for, mm-hmm. as much as we can do that. And it's the same with social media. I really feel like it's a kind of a responsibility if I'm going to be on it to actually use it. I've been on, um, I started an online devotional in 1996. Wow. That's dial-up days. Yeah, yeah. And at the time, long, very long story short, I uh, started doing playing with the internet, and you know there's a lot of bad stuff on there too. Mm-hmm. And I sensed God clearly say, if you're going to play with this, uh, all things have to give glory to me. Mm-hmm. And so I started an online devotional there. And so that's the same with Twitter, with Facebook. Uh, but Facebook is more for the church. It's it's really the number one way our church contacts me is is uh, with a Facebook message. And uh, so you know. That's what I do. You know, it's been that way for me now, Ron, I think for probably at least the last five, if not six years, it's been the number one method of communication from people in the church I've been a part of for at least that long. Um, yeah. Anyway, it's amazing how, how effective it is as a means of communication. Thanks for giving us some time, man. Absolutely. Love it.